Welcome back to Nobody's Muses. It's Rachel and Crystal. Hello, everybody. And we um, are excited to be here. We're we're ready to take this emotional roller coaster of a ride as we get ready to discuss track nine of the Amazon original series, Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, please go back and watch prior episodes or listen to prior podcasts um, to catch up with us. We would love that. Be sure you are following us on Instagram at Nobody's Muses. You can follow us on YouTube. Our podcast is there with video, or you can listen to us on wherever you um, enjoy your podcast. Um, and also don't forget, you can email us at Gmail. The email address is Gmail at, no, it's nobody, <laughs> nobody's muses at gmail.com. Talking is hard. Yes. Um, anyway, so we are back um, and we are excited to be here and we need to, we're going to get going because we're going to try to keep this all at one episode, but we know we may have to break this up into two because there's a lot that happens in this episode, yep. which is called Feels Like the First Time. I love that song. Oh, debut debut from foreigner their very uh, first single i i i love foreigner um grew up really listening to foreigner four on my sister's eight track in her chevelle um mm -hmm. i don't know how many times we listened to that album i mean like, foreigner there's, four is like just... everything that you listen to it's like a banger and you know yes. that like you can remember that song and like that point in your life and like like you know, you hearing like jukebox hero or something yes. like that when you would go Friday nights to the roller rink and things like that. So great album. Urgent. Great track. That's a, the Urgent is a very so fun song to do a karaoke. And also, of course, their later hit, I Want to Know What Love Is, which I usually consider that a moment when you've jumped the shark when you have a choir singing with yeah. you. It's, lots of times it's not good. But anyway, I digress. Let's yes. get Let's get going. We're going to do something a little bit different this week. As we start off. So I'm going to let Crystal head us into this. Okay. So I decided this time to talk about and watch the previously on, which I usually skip because I've been totally. binging it. But, you know, and, but I wanted to get fully immersed in that. So you get the previously on and it's Karen who no, narrates it. Usually it's a different person who says that every time. And it's just, it's a bunch of sound bites. Uh, from the previous show and I believe it's pretty much all from the episode pre before so it's Nikki coming in to the band saying um, what I miss and Eddie saying who the hell who the fuck is that guy and <laughs> and Daisy going that's my husband then you've got the soundbite of Billy going it's going to be a long tour so you can you know step out if you want don't want to do it and her going you dumb son of a bitch there's no tour without me and the whole time that's going on there's just shots of people partying and especially Daisy doing a lot of drugs there's the press conference where you know the the reporter says why aren't you playing look at us now and Billy starts the whole well we wanted to make room for more songs and Daisy says that's not true and then you see shots of them arguing, that big argument that they had last episode. And he's um, he says, y you want me to believe that that's real, that you're happy, and that shows Daisy kind of look with, with Nick, Nikki, and she's having her detached sex. And then she says, I am happy, I am in love. And then we see a shot of Billy 
and Daisy at that party at the hotel looking at each other while Camille is there. And he goes, I know what it looks like when you're in love with somebody. And then the, then you see Daisy pushing Billy. And then you see Camila and Billy together as a happy couple. And then Camila is talking to Eddie. You hear her voice saying, I was confused and I was hurt. And we see, oh, from the several previous episodes where they hooked up at the pool party. And then we hear Karen saying, we've been screwing since the album sessions um, and you guys were too up in your own asses to notice. And we see shots of them doing it. And then we see Billy t- talking and saying she's never taken this much before. And we see lots of shots of Daisy just doing drugs. And also a, her a letter from her mom, where she has that letter from her mom. And then with the last scene from this is um, Billy running to Daisy in the shower and Nikki saying, I can't be here. And so what really stood out to me was the... The sequence with Billy talking about love and being in love because you see him, he, you see him and Daisy looking at each other at that party, and then you see him with Camila. So do we have two different versions of love here? Yeah. Or a conf, or a conf, it's conflicted. You know, yeah. I feel like they were making a point, though, in the edit. Now, I don't know who edits and how much say the directors have on the previously on. I know a lot of times they don't, they don't have a lot of say in what goes on in the promos for shows. because. Uh, but for this, I'm wondering how, what the choices were there. But the choice to me and the way they did it makes me really feel like Billy, I don't know if I ever really feel like Billy was in love with Daisy. And maybe he was. I feel like Daisy was definitely in love with Billy. But I guess maybe it's two sides of love. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. I think, yeah, I think there's two different versions of love that Billy has, and I'm not sure what to name. Um, I'm not sure what to name his version of love with with Daisy. Um, I don't know that it's the healthiest version of love, um, but I also don't know that his version of love with Camilla is the healthiest version of love either. Um. Well, and it it brings up a lot of questions because if you have to have another version of love with some other woman that makes you this conflicted, what's going on? Right. So then we cut to black. Then we cut to black. All right. And we open. um, And, oh, man. Um, So we open and Daisy is like in this room and the light is really like bright and ethereal. And um, we hear them playing Gold Dust. The music in the background is Gold Dust Woman by by Stevie Nicks, by Fleetwood Mac. And she's just kind of like waking up and not really sure where she is. And Nikki is in her face and um, she just kind of finally wakes up and says what happened and so Nikki is saying well we had a bit of fun maybe a little bit too much fun but hey hey you're okay now you're okay now so I'm gonna call and I'm gonna get us some breakfast and so he steps over to the phone and is calling room service and she's still like so like you can see she's kind of out of it but I think things start kind of resonating and coming back out of that fog um, she does notice, I think one of the things that kind of triggers the memory is that she notices the Band-Aid on her arm from the IV. 
Um, and so she starts remembering and she just immediately like Vicky's on the phone ordering and she immediately like gets up and gets out of the bed and he's like, Hey, and he's like, tells room service, Hey, I'll, I'll call you back or something like that. And she walks straight down the hallway and it looks like they've got probably like an entire floor of a hotel reserved for them. But she, you know, walks straight down the hallway to what is Billy's room and bangs on the door. Um, and walks in there and she shuts the door. So Nikki is out in the hallway. He's not a part of this conversation. And she looks kind of frantic um, and is like, I need you to tell me what happened. And Billy just looks at her and Billy's kind of, I think Billy's kind of shell shocked because we know the emotions that he went through when he walked into that room the night before and discovering her and what state she was in and the fear that he had. But Billy asks her, how much do you remember? And all Daisy can say is that I remember you were there and he kind of pauses for a minute and you still hear Nikki out there banging on the doorway, banging on the door. Let me in, let me in. And Billy just really calmly says, Rod called the doctor. He got the drugs out of your system and we left. I didn't think you would want to see me when you woke up. And again, we hear banging in the background and she looks at him and she says, where was he the whole time? And Billy just stands just he doesn't say anything and she puts it together and figures out what happened um and so then she races out of the room and immediately tells him as she comes out into the hallway pack your shit and get out and she starts walking back toward the room and he's following and she says and she goes into the room and starts throwing his shit out in the hallway and um he's kind of picking things up and he's trying to talk to her and you know I didn't know what to do. And she just said, you left me in the fucking shower. And he's still like scrambling to pick up his stuff and trying to kind of negotiate with her. And she tells him again to get out. He says, no, he's not going to get out. So she turns around and picks up this like figurine um, thing and just chunks it. Um, I don't think she she was meaning to hit him with it, but she went past his shoulder to catch his attention and it smashes against the wall and she goes to push him. Um, but, but before that, as she's coming down the hallway with them screaming at each other, you see people coming out of their rooms and it's all the bandmates. It's Warren, it's Eddie, it's Graham and Karen. Billy's back way back in the background. He does not follow them. Um, and that just reminded me of this whole thing of, you know, Camilla telling her from the very beginning, we are family and we take care of each other. And so them just stepping out into the hallway, she didn't register them yet um, because she was in the midst of that. But, you know, she goes to push him and he comes back at her and he picks his arm up like he's going to swing at her. It's not just a shove back from him. He lifts his fist and his arm up behind his head like he's going to punch her. And Warren steps right in the middle of it and says, you know, you, you heard her or you heard the lady, you heard her go. Um, and again, this is something, you know, she's got these big brothers behind her in this hallway and all three of them um, are ready to go to bat for her. Because again, like Camilla told them from the beginning, you are family. We take care of family. And Nikki's just like, you made a huge fucking mistake. You're going to regret this. And, um, he walks off and, you know, you see Eddie try to kind of reach out and touch her to comfort her. And she shrugs him off really quick. Um, and just kind of like pushes him, you know, just doesn't want any, she's kind of doing that thing where she's shaking it off. She doesn't want anybody touching her. 
and Karen comes up and she's standing there and you see Karen walking up and you can tell she's about to lose it. And as soon as Karen gets to her and, and takes her in her arms, she just completely loses it and completely breaks down. And it's very interesting. Again, they're using gold dust woman, which if you know any history behind this song, this is a song that Stevie Nicks wrote regarding her own struggles with cocaine. And, um, you know, you hear these words, um, coming in and that they're specifically using at parts of the scene that I think make it really, really strong. And again, we know, you know, Sam's, Sam Claflin's not in the midst of this. Um, he's hanging back. Um, Billy's hanging back. It just was really, um, it was a powerful scene to me on so many different levels. Um, you know, so from the very beginning of this kind of sequence sequence of shots of her walking in and wanting to know from Billy what had happened, even before that, her starting to remember what happened and then going into Billy's room just from there, this small sequence in the show. And I can't even tell you how long it lasted. It was just, I think it laid the groundwork for how powerful this whole episode was going to be. Oh yeah. It's so, it's so good. And she, they do a lot of things like the way they shoot her and they shoot her up higher than normal. So she looks even more petite than she is when she's in the hallway with the guys. Um, and the point where she, um, whenever, um, when she breaks down with Karen and it's just so sad. I mean, I, I've cried every time mm -hmm. and Karen saying like, the fact that Karen's the only person she really can trust because honestly, look what men have done to her. Not that women have treated her that much better, but you know, it's still, it's, it's better. I mean, Karen, she trusts. And well, I don't think is, there's, there's, there's no way to know, or there's no way for a man to understand that heartbreak like Daisy does. Or like Karen does, because again, this is her husband. This is someone that she thought finally she had in her life that was going to be on her side. And I think she's seen glimpses of that fact that he wasn't really that person for her. Um, but this was just kind of the culmination and the breaking point of it is that, you know, this person that is my husband and says that he loves me. What did he do when I was at my lowest? When I was literally dead, he walked out. Everybody else has walked out. Everybody else has walked out on her in her life. And she thought, finally, I had somebody that wasn't going to walk out on me. And he walked out. And I feel like this is a lot stronger than the way she leaves him. And she, the way she leaves him in the book is, um, you know, the sort of the same thing happens. But she, she there's no, no one else is there when she decides to do this. She just, you know, he has left her. She wakes up and was like, in the shower and he's like I didn't know what to do I think you'd overdosed and she was like I can't be around somebody who would let me die mm -hmm. but I think it's it's just much more sad and much more powerful for and also for all these people to see her so broken and how hard that's going to be on her to get over right because so. nobody else at that point knew what had happened the night before only Billy and Rod and Nikki knew what had actually happened the night before Yeah, and so you know she could have hidden that from everybody, but because of what Nikki did, it was right. now everybody was aware of it. But the, again, the lyrics that they chose at certain spots um, of this, 
and you made a note of this and I thought it was really good. This last part where she's standing in the hallway and the men are backing her up. The, the guys are backing her up and she's finally had it with Nikki. It's um, the line from the song is, did she make you cry, make you break down, shatter your illusions of love? Is it over now? Do you know how to pick up the pieces and go home? And I think the she in this, you know, for her, for Daisy is Nikki, that he did all these things. He made her cry. He broke her down. He shattered what she thought was going to be love. And so now he's gone and she's going to have to pick herself up and keep going. Well, and it's also like when you read about um, the different interpretations that Nick, uh, Stevie Nicks has of that song, because when she first wrote about it, she's like, oh, I'm just writing about the groupies and how they're all, you know, sending me, us, me and um, Christine dirty looks, you know, in 77, that was it. Oh, and it was about groupies. And then over time, she's admitted, admitted that gold dust is cocaine and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's just perfect. Yeah, it's it was. And that, and we've only just done the opening. I know. <laughs> we, haven't even, we haven't even started the show yet. And yeah. we've already had a moment where there's okay. a lot of emotions. So we're at the, the open go plays, and then we see Daisy on the bus, and she's looking at her reflection in the window of the bus, and she just looks, she just looks so fatigued and bereft of any kind of life. And, and I couldn't decide, like, she was almost, like, ghost-like. I couldn't tell if it was, like, ghost-like, or if she just, her face was so different in that reflection. Yeah. And then we see her here, 1997 Daisy. She says, um, you start doing drugs to escape and to dull your emotions, but drugs don't dull your emotions, they heighten them. So coming down is a lot like rediscovering your sanity. And when you rediscover your sanity, you find out it's only a matter of time before you remember what it was you needed to escape from in the first place. And you see her turn her head from the window and um, you see just her kind of being in this moment of no escaping the things that she's seen. And she, then we see her exiting the bus, the band's exiting the bus, and a guy's like, Daisy's so loud, Daisy, 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 he wants her to sign something, and she, she just walks by because she's out of it, and then he calls her a bitch, and that gets her attention. And um, then we see her performing that night, and they're playing You Were Gone, which is a song that I'm not as familiar with. From, um, And she's just, she looks like she's just going to start crying any minute. And Billy looks over at her, and she, he's worried. And 1997 Karen says, even in a shambles, Daisy was a powerhouse, but this was just sad. And, and you know, Daisy does, she just looks like she's going to cry. And then... Um, we cut to Daisy on a payphone, and she's going, please be home, please be home, please answer. And she's trying to call Simone. Yeah. And yeah. and then the lyrics are perfect to this song, because when she's per- at the part where she's performing, it says, um, every story has an ending, and it's not our job to stay. Now how about we turn it off, just forget it like it's gone. Oh, forget about the way you turn me on. Well, those lyrics. And then... She at the end when she's trying to get to Simone, it's yeah. When I needed you, you were gone. When I needed you, you were gone. So yeah, um, just, yeah this just seeing her in that bus, you know, like I said, I couldn't decide. Like she was almost ghost looking, the reflection itself, mm-hmm. 
or kind of her her skin was kind of smoothed out and she looked almost childlike. But then when she turned to face the camera, you just saw all the like sh the emptiness and the brokenness and the vulnerability. Um, she just looks so broken and tired to me in that. And, you know, she is. I mean, she's facing this reality of, you know, this she almost what, died. This is what this life led to. Yeah, she this, almost died. This is what my and, choices have led to. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. But Karen's right. Even even in shambles, her voice was still spot on. But she just looked, it was kind of an out-of-body experience. You could tell she was just kind of on the stage doing what she had to do, um, but was not fully present. Yeah. And her spirit, her spirit wasn't fully present. Yeah. So then we cut to Billy, <laughs> Billy watching the Rockford Files with um, on his bus and Daisy knocks on the door and she's just like, I can't, I can't be on that bus anymore. And you can hear the bus in the background, the partying going on and people and, you know, and she just, she's like, I can't be on that bus anymore. And Billy, you know, kind of opens the door and, you know, like kind of makes space for her, but he looks super uncomfortable, super uncomfortable. And they're just kind of sitting there and the TV's playing and Billy's kind of watching that. But, you know, Daisy's like, I've wanted this since I was, and they kind of started this conversation. She's like, I've wanted this since I was 14 year old, 14 years old. And he says, yeah, me too. And then she she looks and she says, then why are we so unhappy? And, you know, I think we can all relate to those times when we've, you know, gotten what we wanted and still it didn't, it didn't do all that you anticipated it was going to do. But she just goes on and she's like, why are we so unhappy? And Billy, you know, is just really honest um, and really truthfully says, I don't know. And Daisy's like, I don't either. And that just makes it, makes it even worse. You've got what you wanted and it's nobody's happy and it just makes it worse and you make it worse. And this part is really, really hard because she's like, and you make it worse because you were right. And all the things that he said to her, she was admitting to him that he was correct. And I hate that. And I hate that you saw me like that. And I hate that you were the one who had to save me. And, and Billy just sits there the whole time, doesn't say anything. Um, and once again, Sam Claflin is showing all the emotions and showing all the depth of the character without saying a single fucking word. Um, but how, just how painful her to, you know, not only is she having to like admit that her husband isn't who he wanted, who she thought he was going to be, but. And, you know, she, she almost died, but then the one person that was there for her is the person that she has loved with her whole heart and has hated with her entire gut. And he's the one that saved her. And so Billy just reminds her, you know, I've been there too. And he says, why don't you call Teddy? You know, uh, you know, just kind of, kind of what, you know, happened with Billy when he had to finally go in. Um, it was Teddy who took care of him. And so he makes a suggestion of, you know, why don't you call Teddy? And she just kind of sits there and shakes her head. And he says, well, you know, you know, I'd take you. If you ever wanted to go, I'd take you. And she looks at him and she says, can I sleep here tonight? And he's super uncomfortable, you can tell. But he says, of course. Um, but he looks really concerned about having her in this state I think, 
and in his space. And so he gets up and starts walking toward the front of the bus, um, you know, because he's going to let her sleep back there um, because he knows that they can't, he can't be in that same room with her yeah. um, in this instance. But, but yeah, it's just, you know, just that whole line is like, I hate, I hate that you were the one who saw me like this. I hate that you were right. I hate that you were the one who had to save me. Well, because basically, since that moment, whenever, you know, they had this thing going, this connection, and since that moment when Jonah told her at the pool what Billy said, and then she just went on her drunken binge, and then, then Billy writes this song about her, and then she writes Regret Me, they have been on this constant battle since then, and she's been on this constant battle of winning you know, mm-hmm. and basically, and you know, the thing like last week, you made me look weak. You made it look like I needed you. And then guess what, Daisy? You did need him. He saved your fucking life. Yeah. And how that's got to be, how hard that's got to be in this sense, because this isn't about a person who doesn't like Billy. She loves him, and he can't give her the love that she wants back. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's so angry at him. That's why this has all happened, and then for that to happen. It's just, you really feel... And how feel, confusing, how confusing must it be that you know that this person can't give you the love that you need back, but yet they're the one that was willing to save you? Yeah. When your own husband, who supposedly loved you, yeah. wasn't willing to save you. Well, and how, how does it going to make you feel about what, what your self-worth is? Mm-hmm. When you already obviously have some major issues with that, and then the man who, the man who says he loves you can't save you, and the man who doesn't love you does. It's just yeah. tough, man. Sad. Yes. So then we yes. cut to Camila on the phone. You see, you hear her. You see her, and I just love her green phone in her house, and just love. I'm honestly really impressed with how good the actors are at using the phone like they're used to using those kinds of phones, because they're not. They never used the princess phone, yes. probably. Um, so she's on the phone with Billy, and she and he, she says, so he was just going to leave her there? That's awful. Poor Daisy. Is she okay? And then we don't really hear Billy answer. He's on a payphone, and he, you hear him kind of go, well, something... And then we cut to a wider shot, and you can see, and it's kind of from the perspective of where the buses are, and that's where Daisy is standing. And um, Daisy is outside the bus, and she can see Billy on the payphone. And 1997, Mm -hmm. the interviewer says, how did it feel to be sober on tour? And 1997, Daisy says, "Um, sober isn't the right word for it. I started making rules for myself. And, like, her rules were, like, you know, no Dex, only Dexies at this time. I could do this at this time. I could take a Quaalude to sleep. You know, it was a, still a lot of drugs, <laughs> you know, but this is how she figured out, you know, this is how she managed it. And she said, it was the best that I could do under the circumstances. And once again, we see her with an unopened letter from her mom. And then they cut to her on stage, and she's got this, like, white outfit on. We haven't seen her wear it before. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And she, they're finishing a song, and he says, um, Billy says, if you need a rest, take it. And, um, and she says, she doesn't. She stays at the mic, and she says, I almost died the other night. 
I was this close, but I'm alive tonight and you're alive tonight, so let's just stay alive a little longer. And then, and so then they start playing, and they it's just a really great moment of them playing, and you can tell they've had a good show. And then we cut to Rod, and Rod's like, man, we're selling out now. We're getting 15,000 people. We need some pyrotechnics. And she tells him, and it's, it's Billy, Rod, and Daisy, and Billy's smiling, and, and Daisy goes, Rod, don't overthink it. I'm the fire. And then Billy smiles, and he's like, she's back. Yeah. Yep. And, you know. This I, one was, this whole, the bargaining that she was doing with herself to try to manage the addiction. Yeah. I th- you know, you said it. She, like, made the schedule. Like, I can only do Dexies at the, in the morning, and I can only snort Coke, but only before shows. And I'm only going to take a Quaalude at night to, you know, bring me. So she's she's bargaining with herself. Which we know that that happens in addiction. Oh, yeah. There's lots of people who are like, well, I'm not addicted because I only drink on the weekends. Of course, they drink and no one can, they can't remember what they did. Right. You know, or just, oh, well, I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink beer or wine. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of things, ways people do it. Yeah. People try to bargain with, you know, what their addiction looks like or how they're going to manage their addiction until they move into sobriety. Um, also, the, this, the, 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 the little, her little recipe and rules is straight from the book. Yeah. And I'm also super impressed that of Taylor Jenkins' knowledge of 70s drugs. So, because I'm like, yeah. I don't know what Dexies are. I know what, I know what Quaaludes are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Speed. Yeah. But, yeah. And also, it was Dexedrine originally, like, they gave to prescribed women as a diet. I think it was diet mm-hmm. pills. Yeah. Yeah. All the things yeah. they've given women to make The us. other thing, um. The look on everybody's face, because that yeah. moment where he tells her to take a rest and he kind of steps away from her, mm-hmm. uh, looks like to go like maybe get a drink of water or something like that. But he steps back toward Eddie and the drum set and she's out there in front of everybody on her own. And she goes into that, you know, so let's just stay alive. You know, she's well, she says, I almost died um, the other night. And you see them, they sh- they cut to people's faces and they mm-hmm. cut to Warren and Warren is just like, what? And then they cut to Karen and Karen looks really concerned. And then, you you know, so you see the band's reaction to um, her making this admission in front of everybody. Um, that was really, to me, a powerful, you know, a powerful sh- set of shots there. Also, I kept trying to figure out if she was crying on stage or if that was just glitter catching light. Because you would see these moments where she would turn her head and I was trying to figure out if she was crying on stage, which is totally yeah. understandable. She could have been doing that. Or if it was catching the glitter in the I light. Think it I think it was tell. mostly glitter. Okay. Because she has yeah. the glitter on a lot. She does wear a lot of glitter. But I also love the I'm the fire. Oh, I'm I love it. I love her. I love And she's the, back. She was. I mean, that's. With the rapport between Billy and Daisy is back, even as they're walking off stage. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's. It's not this. Well, of course, they would never have even walked off stage together. Two or right. Three days. I mean, this is this is a st- maybe three days, three or four days, maybe. Yeah, this is a report that report that I don't know that they've had before. So this is kind of like yeah. we're starting to see them look more like a band. Yeah. Like a band as an entirety. All right. So then we move forward, and we are in the spring of seventy-seven. 
Um, and it's 1997. Well, 1997, Eddie says, spring 77, that was our moment. And then we see Graham and 1997, he says, it's when you least want things to change that they always do. So then we have Eddie and Warren and Karen going off on their own by themselves and they go to this club and Eddie is standing and they're standing kind of back from the crowd near the bar and they're watching this and it's a punk band. So we've got 19 and 19 spring of 77 and we've got punk coming into the U S and so here is, here is the six with their wide collars and looking very much like the rock band of the seventies. Um, and they're seeing what is coming in and what is, what is, you know, what is coming to face them. Um, and that is this whole punk scene. And Eddie's just standing there, just absolutely mouth agape. He's like, it's over. We're done. We're the dinosaurs. Why would anybody want to listen to us if stuff like this exists? And Warren's just like, oh, I mean, Karen's just like, oh, don't worry about it. And um, Warren says, well, what is this shit? And Eddie's like, it's the future. And so... We kind of cut to a, a little spot with just Graham and Karen and Graham's asking Karen, do you remember playing in places like this? Um, and he says, and then he says, I kind of miss it. And she says, yeah, she does kind of too. Um, and then the band stops playing. They finish their set and they come walking down. Uh, the lead singer comes walking down through the crowd and Eddie kind of stops him and says, hey, you know, and is trying to kind of have a conversation with him, introduces himself. I'm in a band, too. Um, and the dude was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of you. My little sister listens to you all the time. Oh, gut. A stab to the gut for poor Eddie. But it is. They see what's coming into the music scene and what's about what they think is going to take over. And the whole vibe of arena rock they think is going to is going to end. Um, but yeah, he looks at that point where that guy says, yeah, my little sister listens to y'all all the time. He is like just defeated looking. Um, but it really didn't. No, it didn't. I, I don't mean, think, I don't, it, really I don't think, think it eliminated. I don't really think that happened until basically, uh, Nirvana. I mean, I would go, you know, I don't know. I would go a little bit earlier than Nirvana. You know, I see, I, I think, but I, I don't think it completely eliminated those bands. Whereas I think, yeah, that point in time where maybe in, when Nirvana came around, those types of bands, the foreigners, well, those, I mean, they a, first did. of all, they aged out. Okay. Like yeah, there's a certain that's point true. where the fans, your fans don't want to listen to, they don't want to listen to your new stuff. That's just the way it is. And new people right. are coming in. So, but I would say the idea of kind of arena corporate rock mm -hmm. might have shifted. It might not have been foreigner and Fleetwood Mac, but then it was, um, you know, it was Bon, bon Jovi. It was journey. Yeah. It was, then it was, then it was, then it became hair metal. And those were the arena bands, you know, right. and then there was a little bit of alternative trying to make their way into that too. But um, like REM and U2 and stuff like that. But that moment in 1994, it's almost like they talk about it. The bands like Warrant talk about coming into the office. One minute their pictures in the office, the next minute no one wants to talk to them and it's all Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know that, that like the punk that Eddie saw in that club. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a subset of people. 
that listened to things like Iggy Pop and the Ramones and, you know, the Clash and and um, you know Sex Pistols yeah. and things like that. But I don't think that ever had the commercial success in the U.S. No. that your places like Journey, Bon Jovi, no. you know, that realm of song, that realm of because uh, it didn't speak to the it didn't speak to the populace as a whole. No. Um, you know, there were a subset of us that listened to that and listened to, to it very um, committed. You know, were very committed to it, but it didn't get the commercial appeal. And back then, we kind of liked that it didn't get the commercial appeal. We we were, you know. We didn't want to be conformist. I mean, I'll be honest. I was never a fan of the Sex Pistols or the Ramones that much. Like, The Clash, which basically, The Clash to me bridged the gap between what, you know, punk and New Wave. So, like, New Wave, which was what a lot of of people who started out as punk ended up going into New Wave. And I was much more interested in that. Yeah. But even now, I'm always like, oh, okay. Uh, I get what you're going for, but (laughs) I don't know. So, we got 1997 Warren. And I just love him. We had the biggest album in the country. We were nominated for a whole bunch of fucking Grammys. We were on Saturday Night Live. And while this is going on, Toto's Hold the Line is being played. Which, um, I believe Toto is like a, they're like a mega, they're like a super group. It's a bunch of people from other bands. Mm -hmm. So, and then 1997 Eddie, he, he said it's called A Moment for a Reason, right? And then we have the big key come up in New York. So, and... They're obviously going in. Um, the bus is pulled up to the studios outside of for th- of Thirty Rock, and they're walking in, and everybody's excited. There's a bunch of fans, and everybody looks happy. And then there's a little mom and a girl kind of standing bus- backstage, like uh, back out outside behind the building. And what's th- what's the word? It's not backstage. They're, they're standing behind. They're standing behind like the little um... line. Barricades, yeah, they're yes. in the line going into the building. But the mom and the daughter were like one of the last ones closest to the building yeah. as they and, were walking in. And the mom's like, "Oh, they get Daisy's attention." Daisy goes to talk to him, and they're like, "Oh, my little girl says she wants to be like you when she wants to be just like you when she grows up." And Daisy says something that's kind of sad. She says, um, "You need to dream bigger." <laughs> she says, "Dream bigger, little bird." And you can be anything what you want to be and then the whole band is um, signing autographs i mean karen once again has got this cool floppy hat on and like a velvet jacket she looks amazing and then they walk into the green room and there's teddy and he they were like we didn't know if you were gonna make it and daisy and billy and he's like i wouldn't he said they say that and um, and teddy says i wouldn't miss this for the world and then he asked daisy he's like oh is simone gonna be here because i know i'm supposed to meet her later but i thought i'd catch up with her here and she kind of, mm, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know. And I gotta go. And he's kind of like, hmm. He notes it. He knows her very well. And then we cut to Daisy in the dressing room, and she is digging through her purse, digging through everything, trying to find her pills. And she says, "I can't, um, you know, I can't do without pill, my pills." And, and Billy's like, "Yeah, you can." She, she's like, "Everything feels too real, and I can't do it." Yeah. But she looks great. Well, say, and we see them walking. Works well yeah. for her, or semi sobriety. Semi sobriety, yeah. And we see them walking in, and like again, the fact that she and Billy walk in together yes. and wa- and find Teddy. It's like, okay, this is what's this is what the chemistry of the band should have been all along. Instead of all this fighting, yes. we're now at this place where we have this relationship, and we're functioning as a band. And so, 
yeah, to have them walk in together and have Billy get to see them together, um, I thought was was really, you know, again, we're kind of, we're at the point that Maybe we would really rather be. Maybe yeah, we're turning yeah. the corner for what we think is going to be the better. Yes. But um, yeah, you know, her that scene where she is just like in panic. And as somebody who suffers from anxiety, um, when there is something that you're trying to find and you cannot find it. Um, and for her, it was drugs, but I mean, that level of panic when it's something that you really, really need at that moment, um, and you cannot find it. Um, I could relate to that, like irrational, like kind of manic moment where she is just like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I cannot function without this. It just, it's all too real. If I don't have this, I can't function in the real. Um, I feel like I wasn't sympathetic enough to people. Uh, when they're in those situations and I'm much worked on that much more now because I'm always just like, I'll figure out something. Like <laughs> yeah. I, the minute I lose something, I'm like, can I go buy it and replace it? That's the, <laughs> that's the first thing I think. <laughs> like seriously, that's why I have doubles of lots of things because I've looked for it for a little bit, can't find it, order a new one. And I'm like, Oh, there it is. Yeah. Well, so. and I mean, for, for me, sometimes in those situations, um, I get where, where my anxiety is up and like, I will lash out at people and like be a real raging bitch. And it's not anything to do with them or it's not anything to do with anger. It is just like, I'm at here and I know I need to be, if I find that I'll, I'll be back down. I will never be on key with everybody else. But that moment, if I don't find that thing, um, yeah, the, the level of panic that she had. And then there comes in Billy and he's really super calm and collected. And he's, you know, no, you're going to be fine. We can yeah. do this without this. And yeah, so they get ready. And here we go. We are, we cut to um, a scene that looks like the SNL studios, which you and I um, didn't get to walk on the set, but we got to kind of look um, when we were up in New York um, and took a tour of 30 Rock. Um, but you see what we know all to be the typical set and, and Lisa crown, who is an actress of the time, um, is standing down and she goes, ladies and gentlemen, my, my new favorite band, Daisy Jones and the six. And it does exactly what we know it to do. Having grown up watching SNL and she steps to the side and they show this, the stage and you see the audience and the way that they're set up is just like you would see it in SNL taping. Um, and then they start in and they're playing, um, and they kick off and they play Aurora. Um, and she looks super, um, scared and a little disoriented as things are starting and at first, she's like just singing the words. It looks like she's kind of robotic and just singing the words. But as things progress, um, we start seeing her getting into the moment and, and getting into the here and the now. Um, and just a side note, um, I, I don't, I'm going to assume it's on all streaming services, but I know for sure on Spotify, they released um, a Aurora Deluxe. And it has this recording of them on SNL um, performing Aurora. So it's got a, that deluxe version has a whole bunch of different tracks on there and alternative versions of songs that were used throughout the course. Um, But yeah, this, this SNL version of Aurora is on there. So Teddy is watching them from backstage. I did not 
catch this the first time I watched it. Oh, that he, he was looking sweaty? He was looking super sweaty. And I did not notice that the first time I watched it. Um, but we see him standing backstage and he's looking a little sweaty. And then we see it cut to Simone. We hadn't seen Simone in a bit. But we cut to Simone and Simone is in obviously in a dressing room. She's got a little color TV on table and she is watching um, the performance and the performance continues to play in the background as Kenneth walks in um, and he has got her finally got her record deal um, for her to be able to sign. And so she's excited. She like takes the contract from him. He hands her a pen and she turns around to bend over to sign it on the desk. And he says, oh, but wait a minute, there's one thing that we should probably talk about. And you just kind of see her face fall. But then we go back into the SNL and they're, they're, they're still in the midst of this. And I love Warren in the scene because he's, they kind of get to that quiet part and he's up standing behind his drum set and he's just, man, he's all into it. I love Warren in the scene, but they're finishing up. Um, they're finishing up Aurora and their performance and, um, you know, Daisy's boots, Daisy's boots in this scene are so incredibly authentic and spot on. Everything about those boots is absolutely period perfection because the, the heel, the chunk of the heel, the color of the boot, the toe, I mean, I know it sounds crazy that I looked at it that closely, but those boots are exactly what you would have worn yeah. in, in 1977. They looked, they looked expensive as hell. Yeah, there's exactly the boots that you would have wanted to wear in 1977. And despite the fact that I was only seven years old at the time, I wanted to look like that um, and have those kinds of boots. And they were they were absolutely oh, I had, I had exquisite. Some, like, I had some vinyl ones and my mm-hmm. feet sweat so much that I got athlete's foot. God, I mean, I had some, I had some boots. Um, they they didn't have it, you know, I was seven, so they didn't have a heel on them, but you know, my older sister, now she would have some boots like that with that had a heel on them. Yeah, my sister too. Oh, and totally. Had, and well, cause my whole, I wanted to look like Pandauber, Morgan Mindy. So I had my boots. I had like these brown gauchos. Oh God, I love and, the gauchos. And then they had like a little bib, so they could be like an overall or not. And um, I think that's why I still like aprons and bibs now. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, her look, the whole the whole look was good. Everybody's look was really good. But something about those boots just like yeah. set me off. I absolutely loved them. But um. But yeah, the performance was great. I know that you and I have talked previously because we've heard some things like we've had TikToks posted where they were getting back together to rehearse and you're wondering what's happening. And I was hoping, I think we were talking about a potential SNL appearance. We know now that's not going to happen because of the writer's strike. So I don't know if that was planned um, or maybe some kind of special show. I don't know. But um yeah, that was, it was a really good, a really good performance. And, um, again, I, I go, you know, one of the things that I thought about as I was rewatching it again was, you know, what was going on in Daisy's mind as she was out there performing and she was for what we can assume was fairly sober, yeah, fairly sober and what it was to be out there on that stage to be completely aware and in the moment, what that must have felt like. It was probably extremely 
scary, but also very exciting. Yeah. I don't know. She did it. But she, she did it. She didn't fall apart. Nope. So then, well, that's, and I would say the the speed of the show is speeding up. We're cutting between our different storylines quicker mm-hmm. again. A um, lot quicker. This, it reminds me a lot of um, episode three in some ways where things started kind of moving faster. And um, we cut to Simone in the back of a car with Bernie. They're obviously in the middle of a conversation and they, it wasn't, we, we're getting the, the thing that basically this guy told her that she can't be with Bernie if she wants to have this record deal. And she, Simone's like, look, it's no problem. They just don't want any rumors. And Bernie's like, but they aren't rumors. It's because it's true. Mm-hmm. And she goes, they won't want me going on the road with you. They won't want me anywhere near you. And she goes, and Simone's like, well, we can figure that out later. And she goes, no, you won't be able to get out of this if you sign this contract. She's like, this is when you make the choice. You can tell them to go to hell. And Simone says, but this is what I've always wanted. And Bernie says, and here I thought I was. And well, crap. Team Bernie. I mean, you know, what do you do in that situation when this is something that you have worked for and wanted all of your life? I don't know. I mean, I, I have, you know, I would say that we look at Daisy and Billy and that they wanted that exact same thing their whole life and they're both still miserable. Mm-hmm. Especially Daisy. I think Billy has moments of joy because he has Camila, he has Julia. But I do think he's still conflicted, obviously, or we wouldn't even be having this show. Um, but I don't know. And I don't know if that's something I would be willing to, especially I'm 28, 29. I think you think then, oh, things can work out. Mm-hmm. I've already put this much into it. This is something I've always wanted. I just don't know. I can see both sides of it. Totally. And I, I also think I would fool myself and say, we can keep it on the down low. We can still do this and they don't have to find out. That's probably what I would think. And I yeah. think it's good for Bernie to say, no, we got to take a stand here. So what are you going to do? Right. But you know that there were, there were, lots of these types of relationships that were dating back into much earlier into Hollywood and the music scene where they were able to keep things hushed and quiet to the general population. I mean, let's just talk about Whitney Houston, like her friend, her best friend. Yeah. You know, I mean, mean, that was the eighties and nineties. And another Taylor Jenkins Reid book, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. There is um, part of the plot um, has to do with something very similar to this. So if you haven't read that one, I highly recommend that one from Taylor Jenkins Reid. That one's also getting adapted for, that one's also getting adapted for Netflix. So I'm excited to see that one come out. But um, yeah, so, you know, whenever it happens. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right decision is in this. I mean, I I know what the right decision. We know what the right decision is, but I don't know if that's the decision I would be able to make. Right. I don't. I mean, I'd probably take a lot stronger character maybe than I have at that point if I was at that point in my life. And especially at that age. Yeah, at that you age. Know, I mean, it's late, different for us. Mid to late twenties. I think we you, at that age you think, oh, I'll find somebody else, or there's things in you know, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. So then we cut to. 
um, to the cast and they're at the party after the taping of the show and everybody's having a great time and, you know, celebrating and um, Warren and Eddie are standing there talking and um, Warren excuses himself and heads over to go talk. Go talk to Lisa Crown. I just love this. Go talk to Lisa Crown. And he says, and he's like, you know, you know, um, a lot of guys are intimidated by funny women. And she's like, oh, oh. And he's like, but me, I actually, I actually think it's really hot. I think it's a turn on. And she looks at him and says, well, you know what I think is a, a turn on for me? Drummers and rock bands. And Warren immediately laughs it off. <laughs> oh, oh. You, you mean that right you're serious Are you about joking? this Are you, you're you're not joking um so this quick interaction between warren um you know and lisa it's just it's lovely it's a nice little it's nice to see warren getting his happiness um, well here's other thing here's two things though i would say um oh warren aren't you so great because you like the whole men being intimidated by funny women i'm like yeah that's kind of a weak ass line well i mean but it's it's true but it's also just kind of like um be impressed with me because i don't i'm not a misogynist you know like woohoo <laughs> i'm met doing the, the bare minimum exactly so i mean look i think warren is you a, on. i think warren is adorable but to act like you're so noble because you aren't basically you know sexist Woohoo! Good for you, Warren. But I think he was also maybe trying to like he was trying to find he some was, way to talk to her. No, he was doing his best, and you know what? Lisa also, guess what? She didn't really care what Warren has to say. She wants to have fun with the drummer. So, <laughs> so then we cut to Daisy and Billy, and they're at the party once again. There's this nice little rapport with them, and he's like, "How did it feel?" And she says, "It felt good, not as good as cocaine, but it felt good." And then they see people rushing outside of the of the party where the party the room of the party and um, and they um, we we know in the next shot that it's Teddy he's having a heart attack and we see him being loaded into an ambulance and um, we see Daisy and Billy are watching him getting loaded with Rod and then we cut to the emergency room and the whole band is there and the doctor comes out and it's like he had a blockage we don't know how much damage it did he did it did so it's basically we don't know if he had a stroke um but he's stable so then daisy and billy are in now in a chapel at the church and um i mean they're in the hospital chapel and billy and i think this is really this is important this scene billy says i could use, really use a drink right now and Daisy doesn't acknowledge that, really, as from what I can remember. And he, she says, um, do you think things happen for a reason? And he's like, yeah, I do. And she goes, I used to believe in everything, angels, all of that. Um, but that night in Miami, this is more direct quote, I swear I died for a moment. There was nothing there, not a goddamn thing. So now I don't know. And Billy's like, wow, Daisy, you're really cheering me up. And Daisy's like, yeah, I'm just being me. And he goes, how do you explain us? I should have been dead long before now. Killed in action, like half the kids in my high school. Maybe drink myself to death, like my old man. But that's not what happened. I started playing in a band. I met Teddy Price buying cigarettes at a Hollywood market. And then I met you. And here we are, in this place, with this life. And you tell me that there's not someone out there looking out for us? 
come on. And then Rod comes in and says, um, he's awake. And, um, you, and, and da they're like, can we see him? And one at a time. And so Daisy's like, you go see him. And I just, first of all, I love this scene because you understand, you see the rapport. Because a lot of times people in movies, they will talk about this great chemistry they have together, this couple. But you don't actually see it. You don't really see why. Why is this such a thing? And the way they are together in this scene, you see how comfortable they are with each other. Even after all of those, like probably over almost a year of estrangement in some mm -hmm. ways. To be able to come back and have these kind of conversations with each other shows you how, like, close they are. And, um, I don't know. I don't want to go into the, you know, this is too, this podcast is going to be too long anyway about what you and I think about, um, if somebody's watching us or if there's things happen for a reason. But to hear Billy say that and for him to basically say all of these things that happened to me. And you are a positive part of my life. Yeah. We're he probably even... wouldn't have said that a few months back. No, a few days back. She was, a pain in, she was a pain in his ass. And we still don't really know. Um, I think it's, it, I'm thinking it's maybe been like two weeks. Like it's not yeah. been that long. So then we go to the hospital room. Yeah. So then we get to the hospital room and, um, we the scene open the scene is we get to the hospital room and and Teddy's laying in the bed and the doctor's talking to him he's like you you're gonna have to change your lifestyle no smoking no drugs cut down on the red meat um you know you're gonna have what about you know you're gonna have to reduce your stress what about your job you know and as you know he says you know what about your job or something something about his job and Billy is walking in as this as this conversation is going on and he kind of chuckles. And the doctor looks, looks Teddy straight in the eye and says, you know, you are not going to survive another one of these. And Billy, and so the, the doctor walks out and Billy comes in and he sits down beside, um, beside Teddy's bed in a chair and he kind of scoots the chair up close to the bedside and he just looks Teddy just straight in the eye and he says, I love you, Teddy. I, I owe you everything. And if you were to die... I don't know what I would do. And Teddy's like, oh, I'm not going to die, son. But if I do, you're not speaking at my funeral. <laughs> and he just, please, like, just promise me you're going to, you know, slow down, stop burning the candle at both ends. Um, you know, it's, it's going to kill you. And then Teddy says to him, well, then if I die, I die on top of the world. And this scene, again, it's so brief because we're cutting back and forth between scenes. But it's just, I mean, this was, this, you know, Teddy to Billy, it's just, they he, he means so much to Billy. This was somebody who cared for him and took care of him like he did not get from his own dad. Mm -hmm. And even to have Teddy call him son. Um, but just the look of, you know fear and the vulnerability of Billy sitting there at his bedside going, you know, I, I don't know that I could survive this if you died. I don't know that I could make this. Um, but, you know, then we have Teddy who's like, you know what, if, if I die doing what I love, then I die doing what I love, you know. I mean, I think you could cut out the cigarettes and the drugs, though, Billy. Sure. Teddy. 
make a few working lifestyle some, adjustments. Working some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> working some chicken and some yeah. vegetables. So yeah. then we um, we cut to the waiting room, and then Simone rushes in. The, everybody's out there, um, you know, everybody but Billy. Simone rushes in and asks if he is okay. They say, yeah, he's going to be all right. And, um, and then she's so relieved. And then we cut to Simone and Daisy are somewhere off to the side, some other wing of the hospital, talking. And Simone's saying, you know, Teddy's the first one to notice me. He gave me a shot. He, you know, he helped me. And I'm just, thank God that he's okay. And then Daisy says, I want us to be okay. And she just stands there for a second. And she goes, what I said was so awful. And I'm sorry. And she just breaks down. And Simone kind of, I think Simone basically is like, no, you don't need to, we don't need to talk about this anymore. And Simone hugs her. And like the crying that, that Daisy does, like just super breaks down. And it makes me cry yeah and, and I, I was trying to so and I was much. trying to figure out like what was the head shake was the head shake <clears throat> was the head shake no Daisy this is not the time to talk about it no I don't think so or was it no you don't have to say anything because I think know. it's that I know I know you I know where you were I'm gonna forgive you and I, I don't think Simone yeah. has it in her to not forgive Daisy right well, and I think we've all been in those situations where we've said some really shitty stuff to people. Yeah. And, you know, it's really hard to apologize and admit when you're wrong. Well, Not a lot of people so want to do that. I would say yeah. the shame that Daisy felt the moment that that stuff came out of her mouth. And she immediately knew it and immediately apologized and, you know, asked for forgiveness again. But Simone wasn't ready and rightfully so. Simone wasn't ready but I think she is now and she sees she's probably you know she can tell that Daisy's not as messed up as she was mm-hmm. and yeah so, that was a really hard scene oh it was so good though it was good it was really good and it's also and, I think nice to know because I do I've been reading a lot of books about friendship and stuff like that and so many times I think we throw away friendships more than we will a romantic relationship and I like the fact that these two people decided we're going to we're going to work this out and we're going to forgive each other. Mm-hmm. We're going to endure because this relationship is so important. Mm-hmm. So then we're cutting forward. Um, 1997 Graham says, I remember after that, there was a sense of calm. And 1997 Karen says, usual fun stuff. Nothing was really out of the ordinary. Um, 1997 Eddie was like, other than Warren dating a movie star. In 1997, Warren going, I was dating a movie star. And then we see 1997, Daisy. Um, Billy and I were never just one thing. And so we see them kind of, there's like, it's almost like voiceover. She's talking because you see um, her and Daisy and Billy, 77 Daisy and Billy, um, kind of sneaking off he's got a ball cap on she's got a floppy hat and they're sneaking off into a car and there's fans at the main entrance of the hotel but they're sneaking off into a car to go grab something to eat um and so 1997 says billy billy i were we were never just one thing but for the first time i could imagine a version of us that lasts and i think when she says that line they actually cut back to 1997 
1997 Daisy, and she says, but for the first time, I could imagine a version of us that would last. And I think we, as as viewers, were seeing a version of Billion Daisy that could finally work and be cohesive, and we could have this long-lasting band um, that could turn into, you know, something that had longevity and lasted and lasted. But we see Billy and Daisy sneak off and they're at this diner. Um, and again, he's got on like a Pittsburgh pirate hat and she has on this like awesome black floppy hat. Um, and the waitress kind of comes up and brings them their food. And then she's like looking at Billy and she's like, I recognize you from somewhere. And Daisy kind of, it's really cute because they cut to a shot of Daisy and she kind of smirks. And then the waitress recognizes who they are. And she says, you know, as long as you're in my section, nobody's going to bother you. I'll take care of you. And she walks off and, and Daisy's like, that is just crazy. Um, and it's only going to get worse with the next album. And so Billy says, you've been thinking, you know, they kind of have this conversation. He's like, you've been thinking about this? And she's like, sure. And Billy's like, did you write anything? And she kind of pauses and he's like, yeah, me neither. And Daisy starts to talk about, she's like, well, actually. And then all of a sudden he goes, chick, please. Because for some reason, he didn't really want to talk about it. Well, that's what I thought. But I don't yeah. think that that's true. You don't think so? No, I think he's like, oh, you've got an idea for a song. Let's go hear it. Oh, that could be it, too. Yeah, because, yeah. Because, because we go to another scene, but the next, when we see them again. So you're right. that, that, At first, I thought it was he didn't want to hear it. But now, I think but it's But now, like, watching it again, you're right. Yeah. He was ready to go hear the new song. He was yes. ready to get moving and writing. Yes. Because he... He knows what writing with her is about. Yes. And what the process that's is his, and what they work together. That's his doing. favorite thing. Yep. Yep. So he says, check, please. And we cut to Karen and Graham in bed. <clears throat> and they're in, in the midst of rumpled sheets. And Karen says, we're going to be, we're going to miss soundtrack. soundtrack. And Graham says, you know, Billy can play my part. And Karen says, like he could ever. Like um, he ever could. Like he ever could. And. <laughs> And then uh, Graham's, you know, dragging himself out of bed and putting back on his tidy whities And he's like, God, I love it when you say things like that. And so he walks off to the bathroom and Karen's like putting her shirt on. And, um, you know, she's like slowly moving around. And then, you know, we get this, oh, her boob hurts. So, dun, 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 she's automatically pregnant. I mean, that's kind of the vibe that I was getting from this. And if you read the book, then you know what happened. But the, the boobs hurt. And yeah, boobs hurting is usually one of those first things. But your boobs also hurt when you're about to start your period, too. So, yeah. I mean, you well, know. Well, I just liked it that it wasn't immediately the, uh, the the other typical trope of movies or TV when somebody's pregnant, where they immediately are throwing up and have more yeah. Like She's running to the bathroom to beat him there. Which I do have a fr I do have a coworker who got back from her honeymoon and was she's been nauseous for two days and we were like, You're pregnant, you're pregnant. She actually was. <laughs> and I knew it because she comes walking in with a big old thing of saltine crackers and I was like, Oh girl, you are pregnant. <laughs> but you are so pregnant. But I, I liked at least it was a different way of showing that. Mm -hmm. So then we cut to Daisy and Billy are in the hotel lobby. And it's empty, and there's like a big grand piano, and then she's sitting. They're sitting facing each other, and she has her guitar, and she plays. It's it was always you. Oh, that song. Is and oh my God, what a great song! And song. she sings it, and kind of like then realizes what she's done and what she's revealed of herself, and she's like, oh well, you know, it was pretty awful. And he puts his hand on her leg, and he's like, no, Daisy. 
And that's the that's the end of that scene. And that was, you know, I don't. It was it was so just like it was it was just her and this guitar and her voice was just so like beautiful. And I did and I just had this moment when I was watching this scene again and I was like, okay, let's let's do a reality check. We have Riley Keough who never sang before professionally. Never sang before. She said in interviews, I didn't want to go into the music thing. I went into film. I went I went a different direction than what my family had gone into. But we have this person who was never formally trained in voice, had never sung professionally before, got this part, trained for 18 months or so, and is able to sit down and sing like this. That is absolutely mind-boggling to me. And when you think about all these different players, um, you know, we know that Suki Waterhouse is is a musician and a pop star on her own. And we know that, you know, the other three, uh, that, you know, Eddie and Warren and Graham as themselves um, have been playing music. Um, but when you have somebody like Sam Claflin and Riley Keough who had never done um, I think Sam Claflin says he did some musicals and stuff early on, maybe like in school. But the fact that you have this person who has never had any formal training and what she was able to do with her voice, it's just mind. I mean, it's so, again, it's so impressive. And I don't think that people are paying close enough attention to what they did in order to make this happen. You're paying close attention if you're like us and you love the book and you love the audiobook and you're kind of obsessed with it. But I don't think the general public has paid enough attention to know just incredible how incredibly talented these people are that did the show and what they had to do to get there. Yeah. I, it but just, I do it think beautiful. it, I mean, I'm surprised as many people I know who've watched it and talked about it. I actually thought it would just kind of like a lot of Amazon series, especially kind of just come in and go away. Mm-hmm. I feel like Amazon is terrible at promoting their stuff. Um, and so I feel like that this actually had has hit more things and more people I know have talked about it than I expected. So, but she's amazing, and yeah. and just the lyrics. I mean, once again, you know, these are so good because it's just about. I mean, it's about her and Billy. You know, I mean, and I love mm-hmm. this line. And feelings never went away. We hid them under plastic. I'll say, I know my mind, but over look the workings of my heart I blew it bad this time I'm disappearing back to the start I was I mean, just reading that verse and I clicked over I clicked open the link to look at that and it's and it's even the, I mean from the start of it don't ask a question don't question what ought to be I'm a slave to attraction feeling never went away I mean yes. just this whole song there's just so many beautiful lines that I'm trying to figure out was like she knew she knew what she wrote this song about. She knew what she wrote this song about. And so for her to be willing to go ahead and share this with Billy and for him to be able to hear all of these emotions from her and not um, run away. Yeah. And not run away and not run away. So then we have that scene and we then we uh, we hear um, interviewer talking to Graham. And she says, um, can you tell me about what happened in Boston? And 1997 Graham says, did Taryn Kel- Karen tell you? Because it's not my place to say anything, really. And interviewer, she told me. And then Graham's like, I need some water. And he gets up. 
Mm-hmm. And then we're back, we show this, you know, back to the 70s, and we see Graham and Karen in the bedroom, and she's obviously told him that she's pregnant, and he's happy, and it's like, oh, I don't know if I've ever been so happy. And, of course, he is not reading the room because she is not happy. Nope. And then he says, um, we can make this work. We can get a new keyboardist. And Karen says, well, I'm not quitting the band to raise a baby, are you? I never wanted this. You know that. And then Graham says, you didn't want this either. And he's talking about their relationship. So can we take some time and think about it? And then um, 1997 Graham shows up. He says, the next day we went home. And then 1997, Karen says, fucking Pittsburgh. So first of all, of course, the automatic assumption is that she will change her life. She's going to change her life. Which we still see today. I mean, I don't care how evolved we are. And how evolved men have come in understanding the dynamics of, especially now, we have dual income households and, you know, still in the 70s. And even knowing, you know, that Karen and Graham grew up in an age where it was the very nuclear leave it to beaver kind of family that they probably grew up with. Um, But Graham growing up with a single mom. <clears throat> for the most part, I just the automatic assumption, and it's still like I said, it still happens today. The automatic assumption is that the the woman is going to be the one that changes her role, her priorities, and you know sometimes you you are willing to do that because that's what you want. But for like Karen, Camilla, Camilla that was, wanted to yeah. do that. Camilla was willing to do that. That was not what Karen wanted, but no. Graham made the assumption that she was going to ta- she was going to make this change. And do everything to make this work. And he was going to get to live the rock star life. Yeah. And, I mean, in the book, it's way more, um, it's way, their their argument is much more intense. And Graham mm-hmm. is, you know, well, our baby, our baby, and things like that. And, um, and I think that Karen, I feel like this whole time in the book and in the movie, Graham wants Karen to fit like, he loves her and is attracted to her and all these things, but he wants her to fit into a certain mold that she's never going to fit into. And that's kind of why she can never fully love him, because deep down, he doesn't really fully love Karen. He wants a version of Karen yeah. that he sees. Like, oh, eventually you're going to change your mind about this, because you changed your mind about me. Well, because he's seen Camilla. Yeah, and... But I do think the line that really gets me is the fact that he's like, well, you changed your mind about me, so you'll probably change your mind about this. Yeah. So, oof. <laughs> oof. It was not, um, you know, I've said a, a lot a lot, a lot along the way that I'm Team Graham, but this was not his finest moment at all. No. no. I mean, he's so, better in the TV show than he is in the book. Yes. In the book. This is true. But well, we can talk about some of that stuff later, too. Yes. So we cut to um, a private jet landing in Pittsburgh. They've gone home. And we see the band coming out of this private jet. Um, Warren has Lisa with him. Billy's mom is there in the crowd. You know, Eddie's got his family there. Um, Karen gets introduced to Graham and Billy's mom. Camilla and Julia are there. So everybody's getting greeted by somebody. Everybody or everybody has somebody there. And then you see Daisy is the last one kind of off the plane. And she's standing there and she's seeing this hometown crowd, which it wasn't super huge. And you know that a lot of it was family. But Daisy is seeing this hometown crowd and she does not have anybody there to greet her. But in comes Mrs. Dunn. 
and Mrs. Dunn um, and Camilla are standing there and, you know, she, um, Mrs. Dunn grabs onto Daisy and hugs her and, and it takes, you know, it takes Daisy a little bit by surprise, but, but yeah, to walk out there and not have a familiar face, um, you know, it was going home for everybody but Daisy. That wasn't home for her. Well, family. This was all yeah. friends and family who were at the private. They only friends and family knew this private jet was going to be there, and you know. And um, then we cut to the house party, and Graham and Karen are walking around, and Graham's like, "We didn't even come to this neighborhood when when I was a kid." And Karen says, "And now you bought your your mum a house here." So some some of that exposition that we always need. And then Warren introduces Ms. Dunn to Lisa. And uh, Mrs. You know Billy's mom says, "Wow, um, loved you in that Gene Wilder movie, and you're with Warren." And um, I would—I forgot to mention this earlier. Who do we think that Lisa Crown is kind of supposed to be? I'm not sure. So, so she's in a Gene Wilder movie. I mean, we know she's not a real person, but right. like I'm trying to like think of what like a a similar star would be because she is. A, because I'm thinking even like. Um... Like Lady in Red, that was an '80s movie with Kelly LeBrock. Well, because I don't think Lisa Crown is supposed to be like considered super hot. She's supposed to be. Right. So I'm thinking, like, first of all, the reason they mentioned Gene Wilder. Now I know that Gilda was a cast member. Right. It wasn't necessarily would never really be considered a movie star, but I feel like there was a reason they said Gene Wilder. Yeah. I so know. I kind of feel like maybe she was kind of like a Madeline Kahn. Or I was thinking or of Terry, Terry Gar. I was thinking Terry Gar because Gar. Terry Gar was super pretty. Yes. And um, and then I was also thinking, I mean, she wasn't in any Gene Wilder movies, but kind of a Diane Keaton type. Yeah. Somebody who could hold her own hosting a SNL and was right. considered funny. Yeah. Which I think is really hard to think of women at that time who were really considered funny and who were big movie stars. You like, cause even Madeline Kahn and Terry Garr weren't probably hosting Saturday night live. Were they Madeline Kahn? I think maybe, maybe did, maybe. but I'm not sure about Terry Garr. Terry Garr, if she hosted, it would have been probably after Mr. Mom in the eighties, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So it's interesting. I love the little, I love the little, uh, bring in of real, real things, real things like Gene Wilder. Yeah. And then, um, and then we hear Eddie, and he's talking about punk rock and bands and stuff like that, and kind of name dropping a little bit. And um, and then um, he looks over at Camila, and she kind of looks at him, and it's very awkward. And then yes. Camila keeps walking, and she, um, and um, Daisy's sitting with Julia, and. She's like, hey, Julia, why don't you go over there and play with your dad? So she sends her off, and, and, and Daisy's like, oh, you don't have to. And um, and they just kind of have a little conversation, and Camila says, um, Julia is obsessed with you. She wants, she talks about you all the time. She wants to look like you, all this stuff. And, and Daisy's like, really? And then Camila says, do you ever think about it? And Daisy says, I went from being an accident to an inconvenience to an afterthought, and then worst of all, competition. And then she says, but you know, all parents fuck up their kids, and Camila agrees. And she says, and I don't want to be responsible for doing that to someone else. And Camila says, that's why you won't. Don't count, your out, don't count yourself out this early, Daisy Jones. I think it's interesting the times when people decide to say Daisy's name, like... 
um, Billy does it a lot. Um, um, Billy's mother goes Daisy Jones when she sees her at the airport. And then now Camila says, don't count yourself out this early Daisy Jones. You are all sorts of things that you don't even know. And to, I, I mean, look, as a, I think this is a really interesting because why still is Camila still so kind to D Daisy sometimes? I know. It's like very confusing. It's like, how do you sit there and encourage someone and cheer someone on and tell them that they're family when you, you know, have heard songs like Please and you have. And Regret Me. Yeah, and you've heard things like Regret Me and you've heard him complain. I don't know. How do you, I'm trying to figure out like what, like is this a level of trust that she has for Billy? Or is this like a, just a place of acceptance that she's come into that, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Because she already told Billy, when you fall in love with her, that's when this is done. She's already told him that and made it very clear to him. And so I'm just trying to figure out like where she's coming from. Um, Sometimes I, I, I do know. feel like the, the, the show itself doesn't know where they want Camila to fall. Whether they mm -hmm. want her to be so confident in her love of Billy that she is not threatened by Daisy at all. Or if they want her to be jealous. Yeah. Which I feel like that that is the more realistic. And I feel like in the book, um, the book kind of leans more toward her not being jealous but it also goes back to things we've mentioned before of an unreliable narrator in some ways because these people are being interviewed and mm -hmm. they're telling their side of the story. Right. Because she did, I will say character, I think her character was more clear, but again, unreliable. Um, I think her character was more clear in the book than it is in the show. So, yeah. And I think that Billy, I mean, I think that Camilla is a really good person. And she sees that Daisy is a very broken person. And I don't think there's any way, no matter how she feels about Bi Daisy's connection with Billy, I don't think that there's any way she could ever not say kind things to her and want the best for Daisy. She said it more than, she, said, she made a bargain with herself when she decided back at that party and she says we wouldn't have this house we wouldn't have this things if it wasn't for you and mm -hmm. for her it's still it was worth it you know no matter what but and I do think I think that's where it comes from more than anything is that Camila is just a very kind person and so a kind person is going to say those things but then also they also are still going to feel jealous sometimes mm -hmm. I mean and in that moment when you're sitting there with this person who is outside of all these things and you've got your husband right there Showing his love to the child that you had together. It's very easy to um, to say those things to Daisy. Mm -hmm. To feel confident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to feel confident. And, and yeah, yeah. So we cut, we're still at the party. And, oh, they bring back Chuck. Oh, Chuck. Chuck, who left us early on um, after they bought that awesome van. Um, but left them early on to go to, to dental school. And so Chuck is there and he's talking to him and he was like, you know, but I have something that y'all don't have. I have financial security. I mean, you know, after you guys like pay taxes and split the money, you can't, you can't be making that much money. And they just all kind of sit there quietly and don't really say anything and kind of awkwardly change the subject. And they cut to 1997 Chuck. 
who's sitting there in this chair doesn't say anything but just throws his head back like oh my god i can't believe i fucking said that i can't believe i quit the band yeah my Um, notes were no words all regret (laughs) (laughs) no words all regret so then we cut back to camilla this 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 yeah, exchange this. annoyed the shit out of me. So I'm just going to say that. Yeah, I'm going to come in here with a bias of this is fucking bullshit. And I didn't believe anything about this. So cut to Camilla and she's walking up to the house and Karen is walking out. And Karen obviously looks very distraught. Um, she's, ups- she's upset about something. And Camilla looks at her with very genuine concern in her eyes. It was very genuine. But she tilts her head and she's kind of looking at her trying to figure out. And she's like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. How the fuck did she know she was pregnant? That, and I'm sorry. That's some weird. I have and maybe a they cut a scene out. I don't know. Here's, but that my was some biggest, fucking... here's my biggest issue with this episode and, and kind of with the show in general. Because we never hear Karen say, I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we never hear the word abortion. And guess what? Karen was pregnant and she had an abortion. We barely, in the book, they talk a lot about this and they talk about her having a baby and her not wanting to keep it a baby. That is not said here. Right. And look, that really makes me crazy because Karen was pregnant. Karen has an abortion. She wants to get an abortion. Like they're dancing around this like it's 1950s and Lucy, Lucy's having to say she's expecting. Right. It it really pisses me off, and it also pisses me off in this like Camilla is some kind of Earth Mother and just knows that she's pregnant. Just knows. Just knows like she's Gaia. Because I'm sorry well, if I know. if you and I were to walk up to each other and one of us looked super upset, I, you know, at that point in our lives, if we did that in our fifties, we'd be like, "You're not pregnant." I know that much, but um, but like. I would never like automatically assume that this look of dread on your face was that you were pregnant. It's just a bullshit scene and it didn't make any sense. It it just was unrealistic and it annoyed the shit out of me. But anyway, there's this realization that Karen from Camilla, that Karen is pregnant. Yeah. And I would also just say this is a trend in TV shows for years that you can't have your main character or likable character get an abortion. We go all the way, let's go back to, you know, forever. We go to Murphy Brown, to, um, to, I let's feel go like. Back a good, to Maud. Yeah. You remember the Maud did episode? get an abortion. She right. got an abortion. They but, spoke about it at that, but let's think about when that episode of Maud was probably yeah, 75-ish. Yeah, but it was the 70s, and then we had Reagan. Yeah. So, I mean, we might turn off a lot of listeners right here, all 30 of them, but I would say that. Um, Don't even get me started because I can go off on a really long tat. Because here's the thing. In Sex in the City, I would say, you know, Miranda, spoiler alert from 20 years ago, she does not, she doesn't get the abortion. But they actually have Sarah Jessica Parker talk about that she had had an abortion, which Mm -hmm. was a big step. But, and they have in other shows now, more recently had people get get abortions. But it just, um... Mm, just just say it i'm pregnant we we what what well it's like we're gonna do a dance it's like the fact that we we are going back to the 1950s where lucy could never say that she was pregnant yeah she had to say what she was expecting right or we you know we had to hide it for a while or you know 
I we just, couldn't sleep in the same bed with each. I mean, you know, so it's but, just, it's. But this it's, is like, this is, we are in 2023 and we're still doing this damn dance. Yeah. And we know why. But right. I just would say, um, it just, mm, and I would say in the book, I just have one more question. And I could Google this, but I haven't. Because um, in the book, she takes a pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know if you had it. I don't remember home pregnancy tests being a thing until the 80s, maybe the 90s. Well, let's look. Yeah, because you always heard, you know, in the... There's a rabbit the, died. The, yeah. And that's that's another thing we like. We wouldn't say that somebody was pregnant. We would just say the rabbit died. Okay, so it was not until the late 70s that the first home pregnancy kits were available in the U.S. But again, you know, I mean, how, I think it was a two-hour prep. But at that point, it was still, the majority of people in the 70s were not buying home pregnancy tests. So she would have had to have gotten it confirmed somewhere along the way at a doctor. But <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's our tirade on that one. It was just, a, it was a bullshit scene and it, and it was just also it just makes to me it's also kind of honestly it's very irresponsible because it makes it seem like that women just know they're pregnant and some shit you know i don't know i just mm, i mean i have i love this series and i love all these things but i don't know what went on what notes went on behind the scenes that made them not be able to say that she was pregnant and that she has an abortion yeah but whatever it was it's some bullshit right all right so moving on we cut to Billy and Camilla in bed, and um, they're looking at pictures of Julia, and she was, like, chasing sandpipers on the beach. And, and Camilla mentions that, she, you know, she's getting older, and and she says, um, would you like to try for another? Because I think Julia would love to have a little brother or sister, and I think we would be ready this time. And Billy says, yeah. And so they, you know, and he's like, let's do it right now. And she's like, no, we're in my your mom's house. And... Um, Daisy is in the next door and she can hear them. We see her laying in bed and she can hear them. In 1997, Daisy says, I remember that night. It was the first time um, that I don't remember, and I don't remember how long that I didn't want to take anything. She's talking about, and she goes, I knew exactly what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then we cut to the band. backstage before they're performing at Pitts- in Pittsburgh and he's Billy says I can't speak for all of you but I sure as hell wouldn't trade this for anything and then they do um you know Pittsburgh on three yeah. which means so much more and they're all smiling it's a really sweet moment and then they are playing at a damn arena I mean it's amazing we go back just the beginning of this tour when they're in Albuquerque at a you know a, a nice size theater but they are at a damn right. arena yeah and then they do a long chunk where they play, they show them performing Regret Me. And um, they show shots of Camila and Julia and her mom in the crowd. You see a really good shot of uh, the dentist, of Chuck, you know, enjoying himself. And, and they're just, the chemistry between them is so good. They are just happy. And, you know, they finish the song. And then they all bow, and it's a shot we see we see in the um, in the opening credits. They all bow, and then they come out to do like an encore. And normally, this is when Eddie comes out with Daisy, and he's really looking forward to this because he actually doesn't have to play bass; he gets to play lead guitar, and it's, it's their moment together. Yep. He's home, 
And Billy is so caught up in the moment. He and Daisy have so much chemistry. He's like, hey, you don't mind if I take this? And he goes out on stage and does it. Well, Eddie is pissed. He is so angry and so hurt because this was his moment. And and they go, so Billy and Daisy are out there performing two against three. And 1987, Eddie says, and he goes, he, he kind of expands on it. He's like, He's like, you go around and you always feel like a second-class citizen, and it messes with you. And, you know, he has been, a lot of times, treated second-class. And, you know, Rod um, is like, hey, man, it was still good, and all this stuff. And Eddie's like, fuck off, man. Like, he's pissed. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's such a great scene of them at this moment of triumph. And, of course, every little piece has to have a little bit of eh to it with Eddie. But it's such a, I love watching them perform, and we kind of actually get to enjoy them as a band. Right. Enjoy them as, a, you know, having a Daisy being sober. This is kind of the the best. This is yeah. the height. This is the peak for them. Well, in, in spite the shot of everything. Of- the shot of them playing in a re- in an arena, it looked and it reminded me a lot of what we have around here. We have Tarrant County has their own arena, um, yeah. and Dallas has their own arena. And you know, before and going back in time, and again, this won't make any sense unless you're from this area. But you know, before there was Reunion Arena and ultimately the American Airlines Center um, and these big epic sports arenas, we had. Um, these smaller arenas, one in Fort Worth, downtown Fort Worth, one in downtown Dallas, and there were other places that they played, Longhorn Ballroom and Bronco Bowl. But but that shot um, of that crowd reminded me very much of going to see somebody play at um, some place like Tarrant County Convention Center or, or Dallas County Convention Center. So those were some, you know, some happy memories. And I was thinking, I was thinking about like, what was a hometown or a Texas or maybe that obsolete band that nobody got that you were into and then they did hit it and make it big and so getting the opportunity when they finally swing back through and are playing those arena-esque shows um, actually getting to see them play like that and I was thinking for me personally um, not necessarily as big but I can remember coming back through um, when New Bohemians released their second album Ghost of a Dog and they came back through and they played at the Bronco Bowl, which if you're from this area, that was like the best place to go see bands. Um, it was pretty big, too. Yeah, it was pretty big. I think it was about a 5,000 5, seat. Yeah. Um, but it was... It was, was, was megachurch big. Yeah, it was, it was mega church big. But um, it was a great venue to go see music in. And I can just remember like having seen them in small clubs in Dallas before that. And then now they're like playing these big arenas with all these people. Um, there was also, I think you and I, um, at times would have this like protective thing about bands. Like we liked them first and now all you bandwagoners are coming in and joining in on the fun and you're just not as cool as us because we've been here since the beginning. So back off. At least. Yeah, we definitely, <laughs> we would a have little bit moments. of that, but you know, we, would, okay. we would have those moments. Anything else you want to say about this, this section? Yeah, no, I was just, again, just, it was great to see them, you know, doing their thing. I felt bad for Eddie because he, he looked, there was like a moment of hurt, you know, there was a moment uh, that turned into anger and it just, you know, it sucked. I mean, I get where Billy was, again, hyped up and excited and it was hometown, but it was also Eddie's hometown. And again, well, we it have... just goes to, it's one of my favorite TV shows in the whole world is, um, 
is Mad Men. And there's a line that Don Draper says to one of the guys who basically is like, I don't think of you at all. Because the guy was like, you know all the stuff we do for you, da, 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 da. and Don Draper's like, I don't think of you at all. And that's basically where Eddie is. Eddie, Billy is so caught up in his whole thing, he doesn't even think of that, that it would hurt Eddie's feelings. Mm-mm, no. And honestly yeah. does not care. No, probably not. Probably not. So Eddie's upset. You know, Billy and, and Daisy are out on stage and they're playing two against three. And we see kind of Graham and Karen walking behind stage as they're still out there playing. Billy, uh, Graham asks Karen if she's okay. Yeah, I'm just really, really tired. I think I'm going to go back to the hotel. I just need some rest. Okay, I'll come with you. No, you go ahead and stay at your mom's. I'm going to go back to the hotel and get some rest. And, you know, as we're hearing these lyrics um, uh, for Two Against Three, we see a cut to, you know, Teddy at home. And he's trying to make himself a healthy shake. And he's looking pretty down. And then and, um, we cut forward to 1997. Um, and Billy says, there's... There's the right thing to do, and there's the right thing to do for yourself. They're almost never the same thing, and there's the problem. And we cut back to, you know, Karen. I think there's like a scene where, again, we see Teddy kind of with his back looking out on his pool and the vast L.A. skyline. Um, and then we cut to what appears to be the next morning, and Karen and Camilla are headed to the clinic. Um, and that point, the lyrics are, again, we're hearing two against three and the lyrics are, it seems, uh, it seems you have a choice to make the shell is white and yours to break. All I need is a promise I can keep to myself. And they're going and she goes into the clinic and then we cut back and we're still again hearing two against three and we cut back to Simone Okay, and she's in her apartment with Bernie in New York, and she's packing up her suitcase, and Bernie's sitting on the couch and looking incredibly sad, and, you know, again, that's a hard decision to make. It's like what you've always worked for, but then you also have this relationship, and I don't know, you're just like, why can't they have both, you know, but, um, but yeah, fair. this was just, this. it's not fair, it's not fair, let them have both. Um, well, but it's also, uh, they're, they're, they're bringing all these threads together. It's mm -hmm. a really good job, honestly. Yeah, it is. Of, of bringing all these different stories kind of together. Yeah, um, with one song. Yeah, and really a short that sequence. really, really does a good job. So we're at the Dunn house the next morning, because I guess Daisy's staying there. I, I'm telling you, I, I wouldn't want to stay at somebody's house. I wouldn't want to stay at a hotel. Um, <laughs> and they're at the house doing a crossword. We don't know where Camille is. I mean, we do, but they right. don't. And... Um, and, you know, she says, um, you know, she's like, oh, they're, they're laughing with each other. And she says, I have a version, a vision of us 20 years from now, just laughing and being silly. And Billy says, I think we will be together in 20 years, you know, writing songs, doing all this stuff. And she's like, no, we should be together. And then she goes, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And then Billy, they stand up. You know, she stands like, I shouldn't have said that. And they stand up and Billy says, I want that too. But she's my wife never going to leave her this is what's supposed to be and he kind of think about what we could do we we could write together we could feel the highs and lows we could write 10 more albums think about all we could do isn't this enough and then we hear the door slam and it's camila coming in wow what a scene 
Is he trying to convince himself as he's saying this, as he's saying, I want that too, but she's my wife and I'm never going to leave her. This is what it's supposed to be. We can feel the highs. We can feel the lows. We can write 10 more albums. We could do all of this. Isn't that enough? Is he talking to him? Is he trying to convince himself or is he trying to convince Daisy that this is enough? What they have right now, this great chemistry that they have right now, they're getting along. They're friendly with each other. Is he convincing Daisy that this is enough? This is all they need. Or is he convincing himself? Because I think he's trying to convince himself that this is all that he needs. I don't know. I think, I think this would be a great deal for Billy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is the bargain that Billy has set himself back to that day they were at the beach when he, when she says, "I've never felt like this before." Neither have I. And then he says, "I love writing music with you." He has made this. He has made this bargain in his mind of how they are together from the beginning, and always it's been about. It's just about the music with us. We have this great chemistry. We're great friends. We're everything because of music. Yeah. Even though those other times when he goes, I know what you look like when you're in love. I can't and believe he also, would say that. I want when she says we should be together, and he says I want that too. How do you say that? How do you know. fucking then, say that when you supposedly I, love your wife? Well, and I'm also like, well, thanks a lot because you made yeah. a commitment. Now you're stuck with Camilla your whole life. What the hell, dude? Well, like, and he did. He implied that. He's like, she's my wife and I'm never going to leave her. Yes. Because he no. has this sense of duty and obligation. I, I don't want to be married to, I don't want to be married to somebody who feels a sense and an obligation to stay with me. If you don't want to be with me, bounce, dude. It's fine. Well, and to I, will, be like, I will recover. And to not say, I love Camila. I have feelings for you, but I love Camila. The love we have is something that's stronger than the love I have for you. Mm-hmm. To say, no, he tries to make some kind of bargain so he can have both. Yep. Yeah. And I do, I think, I mean, and then, so that's it. We see Camila, sla- you know, Camila. You hear Camila, you hear the you door slam. You hear the but door slam. Know, and I think she goes, oh, hey, Camila. She turns around. And then we cut to the private plane. Private planes are always where interesting things happen and for rock stars. And you, we see Warren saying goodbye to to Lisa, I'm going to marry that woman. And because the, they're all like, she's great. And he's like, I'm going to marry her. And then Karen is like, got grandma, you know, he's hugging on her, but he doesn't know what's happened. Mm-hmm. Karen's looking, real tired and just yeah. upset. Yeah. Clearly. And then we see Camila remembering, we see her sitting and then we get a flashback to her remembering what she saw, what she walked in on. And she saw them having that conversation very intimate looking forehead to forehead yes forehead to forehead having this conversation and she sees that and then she slams the door so that they know that she's there um and he looks over her and he says hey i love you and she doesn't say anything but she you know holds out her hand Mm -hmm. and then we hear rod say next up chicago illinois well we all know what that means because we've heard it you know, we've heard the line, this is Chicago, Soldier Field, this is the going to be the last performance. And then we see this kind of nice build, and it's um, Seed of Evil by the band, a punk band, my husband's one of his favorite bands in um, television. And we see um, close-ups of Daisy looking, Daisy's looking kind of like, I don't know, not upset really. 
Billy looks from the front of the plane back to her, and mm-hmm. she's sitting in this, you know, she's sitting in her chair, and she's just kind of looking at him. So you see that, and then you see Eddie looking not happy. You Mm-mm. see Karen not happy, and you see Camilla looking, you know, pretty upset, and you mm-hmm. see Billy. So you see all the people. Yep. And, um, you know, it's just a great way to end an episode. And here we go. I mean, here's the thing. There have been some articles that have talked about Camila that they don't think they like that Camila is jealous. How could je- she not be jealous? How could you not be a little upset? It would be un- unrealistic. Once again, we've talked about it before for her not to be upset. I think she has kind feelings for Daisy and understands that. But you see that scene. You see those two together. There's mm-hmm. no way that you're not going to be upset. No. No, there's no way. I don't care how confident you are in your marriage. I don't care how confident you are in your spouse. If you see a connection of your spouse having with someone else that they do not have with you, there is going to be feelings. Especially if they don't talk to you about it. Yeah, there will be feelings. I mean, I have good collaborative relationships with lots of men in my work. My husband knows everything about those people. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Billy always keeps that from her. So that's it. That's the end. There we are. So that is the closeout of track nine. Track ten. Be ready, y'all. We didn't, yeah. I didn't cry this episode, so we're in good shape. You didn't cry watching it or you didn't cry when we recorded? Didn't cry recording. I thought <laughs> yeah. I cried. Didn't recover. I'm proud of myself. Because when I talk about it, I kind of teared up a couple of times. But Yeah. But this was, yeah. This um, was... Um, yeah. Thanks, thanks again, everyone who's commented. Um, just really love hearing from everyone. And we did officially, which isn't that big of a deal probably to a lot of people, that we did officially reach 250 views. Nice. Yeah, I think Look that's 250 views. Look at us. I don't even so know if thank I know 250 people. I mean, for 250 views. We yeah. appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, like and subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube um, to see the podcast. You can check us out on any of your favorite streaming platforms. Remember, we're on Instagram at Nobody's Muses. Gmail is Nobody's Muses at gmail.com. Um, you know, reach out, leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. Share this with your friends. Um, you know, if you if you want to go back and listen to prior episodes to get ready for n- next week. Um, but we will be back next week for um, track 10. We're going to close out the album. Mm-hmm.